And I want people to know who we are, to know that there are individuals that are trying to help those experiencing homelessness and address a lot of their needs that otherwise aren't being met. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. So on today's episode, we're actually going to take you on a ride along with our mobile medical intervention team. Recently, a Tulsa World photographer, John Clanton, who is actually one of my longtime friends, went along with the mobile medical intervention team as they went out onto the streets of Tulsa and provided as the name of the program indicates, mobile medical interventions. And so to explain what mobile medical intervention team is and does is the always super fantastic and awesome Whitney Phillips. Whitney, welcome to the Mental Health Download. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having us on here. I appreciate it. Most definitely. Okay. So tell everybody who you are and then explain who's on the team and just kind of give us a nice overview of what mobile medical intervention team is. Sure. I'm Whitney Phillips. I'm a physician assistant with OU Family Medicine, and I am um, the PA for the mobile medical intervention team. My team consists of myself, my nurse, Jackie Sauter, and our case manager, Stephanie Silva. So we have been in operation since about 2016, um, but we changed our name at the beginning of 2019 and expanded our services. And what we basically do is provide acute care, mental health care, and primary care to residents of Mental Health Association Oklahoma and to um, our friends experiencing homelessness on the street. And this is not the first time that a reporter has done a ride along with you, but you and your team spent, and and I, I was honored I got to ride along too, and he got to see things that most reporters have not. There were some things that I'd never seen you guys in action doing. We got to meet a wonderful person that you served. We can uh, use a different name for him, call him Jim. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we got to go into Jim's encampment and just saw just the uh, just the way that he had no other choice but to live and that he's lived like that for about a decade now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, uh, I think he's 28, so he's been doing this since he was 18, and hopefully we can get him into housing soon. Yes. You know, thinking about that right along that we did, Whitney, what were some of your takeaways from that? What do you remember most? It was kind of like any other day for Jackie and I. We kind of um, see this stuff all the time. It doesn't mean we're immune to it, and it doesn't mean it doesn't make us sad. We started the day at Denver House Drop-In Center, and so we saw some of our, what we would say, usual clientele, and they were experiencing various health issues that we attempted to address. And then we, of course, got a call, like we do every day, to go out to a different site through our homeless outreach team and see some individuals who are experiencing seeing symptoms of high blood pressure, um, an upper respiratory infection, and then wounds from our individual that we were talking about earlier, Jim. So not an unusual day for us. That's how we usually get dispatched. We start over at the Denver house and then we're all over Tulsa. So again, it is, it's an epidemic. It's very sad. It's difficult to provide healthcare to these individuals, but it's got to be done. They often get forgotten and we want to make sure that we address their needs just because they're without housing doesn't mean that they shouldn't have their healthcare needs addressed and their mental health addressed. Yeah. Can you explain just how this mobile medical intervention team is funded? 
So we are very fortunate to be funded through um, three different funders this year. We have the William K. Warren Foundation, the Ann and Henry Zara Family Foundation, as well as the Morning Crest Healthcare Foundation. Each of those funders, this program I think really spoke to them for different reasons, whether it be a need for more preventative care and more primary care, or just a need to reach out to our individuals experiencing homelessness. So whatever um, the reasons they decided to fund us, we're eternally grateful and we're just glad that we get this opportunity. On this day that we did this ride along was the first day that you guys had your backpacks, right? Yes. Yes. And you were very excited. <laughs> um, tell us about the backpacks and how were those funded and what all is in them and why they are so awesome. It's like having a mobile medical clinic on your back. Right. So we actually went to a street medicine symposium this year in Pittsburgh, um, and it was really reinvigorating for several reasons, but we also learned a lot. So before this symposium, Jackie and I were carrying around a bunch of Tupperware buckets with um, wound care supplies and over-the-counter medications for our individuals. And what we found was we were having to go back and forth to the van. It was a long walk and it was difficult with all of those buckets in our hands. So these backpacks really serve a great purpose. We can throw them on our back. We have over-the-counter medications in there, all of our supplies to check blood pressure, monitor temperature, check pulse oxygenation levels. So it's been really handy for us so far in the short time that we've had it. And fortunately, um, it was part of our training budget within our grant. So Whitney, what we're going to do with this podcast is you're going to kind of set up each of our spots, kind of give us a little bit of background. Mm -hmm. And then our audience is actually going to hear audio that we recorded on that ride along. And so with all that being said, the mental health download starts now. All right, so Whitney, here we go. So our first stop was Denver House, uh-huh. and we met a few people there. Uh-huh. Let's talk about, and we can we can call him Steve. Uh-huh. Steve had been stabbed when you, I believe, first met him, uh-huh. and so this was kind of a follow up visit with Steve. Kind of as as best you can tell us the story of Steve and uh-huh. how you guys helped him, yeah. how you all helped him, yeah. So we first met Steve um, in the beginning of 2019 when he approached us about needing medications for his high blood pressure that he wasn't able to get access to because of lack of health insurance and lack of income. So we checked his blood pressure. It was, in fact, high. So we attempted to get him blood pressure medication, and he never showed back up to the Denver house. So we thought about him often, but we moved on to our other patients. And then he reappeared in the middle of 2019 for us to address his stab wounds that he had recently been seen for in one of the hospitals here in Tulsa, but that was draining and he was quite concerned about it. So we redressed his wounds and again, missed him for about a month there. And then uh, he reappeared at the Denver house and let us know that he had been actually struck by a vehicle. He Fortunately, sustained only minor wounds, but still wanted us to check out what was going on with him. So we did. And he has now been consistently coming to Denver House and is actually potentially about to get housed. He's been filling out housing packets with peer outreach services. 
This last time we saw him, he asked again if we could address his blood pressure medications that he needed, as well as some stomach issues he was having. So we were able to kind of go over his history and his needs and go from there and get him prescribed. And this time he actually did follow up with us, which was wonderful. And we were able to get him the medication he needed. And he will now be entered into our primary care cohort. So we will be addressing his needs going forward. What do you like about Steve? He's always really enjoyable. He always seems to be in good spirits despite his situation. He's always very courteous and respectful of our time and our attention. He is actually really knowledgeable. He has a really good grip on his health needs and where he's been and the medications he's been on in the past. And so he's just a great guy to work with. Okay. Uh, So let's listen to a little bit of our interactions with Steve. Hey! <laughs> How are you? Right. Long time to see, man. Yeah. Good, sit down. We are upstairs working on our housing package. Yeah. You got his disability document, and we are like on the road yeah. to house. Wow, sit right here. So that was awesome. Sweet. Um, he needs to see us for a couple things. Got some acid reflux going, as well as high blood pressure. He's out of his meds, and it was listed for HTTZ. I said we can probably take a look and get him written for that amount of cancer. Uh, how long have you experienced homelessness? Uh, at least about two years to a year and a half. See if I can Yeah. And where are you staying out right now? Uh, just wherever I can, say, you know. Sometimes I'll be in somebody's apartment, and sometimes I'm at the shelters. And most of the time I'm out here and dealing with the world. Yeah. How happy are you to see Whitney and Jackie? Oh, yeah, they, they're good people. I mean, they, I didn't know once I found about them, they got, they got me my blood pressure medicine the first day I met them. Yeah. And so that was real response, rapid response. And then they helped me when I got out to the stab and stuff, and they, yeah. they've been very helpful. Well, good. I'm glad that they're so I've helpful. been telling people about them, like, hey, you need to call them, because <laughs> <laughs> you don't have insurance, they'll help you get something. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing. that. So that was really interesting with Steve. Now we're going to stop at a park Mm -hmm. here in Tulsa. And uh, we met a a gentleman named, let's call him Ryan. Mm -hmm. And Ryan was living in his truck. Mm -hmm. Um, He was probably... I don't know. And his how old was Ryan? I think he was in his late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. Kind of set the scene for you guys providing services to him in a parking lot mm-hmm. next to the truck that he lived in. Yeah. Um, so when we drove up, we were at a park over in North Tulsa, and he was just hanging out by his truck that he's sleeping in. Um, he was with one of our homeless outreach coordinators. Really friendly when we walked up, very trusting, um, allowed us to talk to him about his health history and where he's been and where he wants to go and what his insurance mechanism was, if he had any and if he had any benefits, so we could make sure that we got him to the appropriate location for his continued health care needs. When you were talking with Ryan and you were hearing his story, I mean, it's so sad. I mean, he had been living in this truck for like two years um, Uh and just been through so much. You know, what is it like for you and your team in dealing with such, you know, tragic circumstances for these people? What kind of self-care do you guys Uh have in place to, you know, at the end of the day, like that you can 
either let go of the things that you've seen and heard or just tell me about your self-care. Yeah. So when we first started, it felt like every day we were just kind of carrying the weight of these stories when we would come home and we had a hard time. Jackie was a little more used to it than I was because she has been in the mental health association world for a little bit longer than I have. But she actually was really instrumental in encouraging self-care and just kind of downloading stories of the day with each each other um, and kind of going over, you know, yeah, there are a lot of negatives and there's been a lot of hard truths discovered today, but what did we do to make a difference and how is that going to impact that individual? Even if it's a minor change, just access to over-the-counter medications, it still made a difference in their day. And though it's small, we're doing something. Um, so self-care wise, we, we download the day with each other exercise, kind of get things off of my mind, get that dopamine rush that I need to get. And we just go home to our families and just thank goodness that we have what we have and it makes us feel that much more blessed. Yeah. So this clip is a little different and it's because when we arrived, one of our homeless street outreach workers, Scott Blackburn, was on the scene helping Ryan and actually ended up standing next to Scott as we watched the team in action. And I got a chance to ask Scott about not only about Ryan, but also about himself, because Scott experienced homelessness for about six years. And so this is a really interesting conversation in that Scott is actively helping Ryan. And he can also give us a bit of an overview and a bit of perspective on how important the mobile medical intervention team is. So here we go. This is our first time seeing him. What, what, what kind of, describe what he's driving. Oh, it looks like a black Chevy pickup, maybe. Yeah, yeah and it looks imagine, like he has some of his stuff in there. living in that for two years? I cannot. Yeah. So a lot of his barriers, he also had a recent heart attack yeah. and heart surgery. That's why the mobile medical is looking at him. And uh, he hadn't had his nitro pills and stuff like that. So when you know that the mobile medical intervention team, when they were coming today, why were you excited that they were coming? And how have you seen them help the people you see? It helps to build rapport with the people that are out here in these, out here in the elements and everything. It helps them know that we actually care and that we're bringing someone in uh, to help. Uh, that that helps us build rapport, and then it maybe makes it to where they'll work with us more on getting housing and more, maybe finding other. Uh, solving some of their other barriers because immediately they're not going to trust you right off the bat. It takes a while to build rapport, but whenever you bring in a medical person to help on site uh, right then and there, then that that shows them that you care. What do you love about mobile medical intervention team? Well, it's being able to get that help to the to these people that won't aren't willing to go in. Maybe they have a problem with the law. Maybe they have you know other things that they're scared of. Uh, they're for a lot of them afraid they'll go to the hospital and won't ever get out. Uh, so they just won't get help. And it's better to get mobile medical to come out and see these people instead of having to come out and find them in such bad shape that. It, it turns really, really bad for us. We had a guy that had frostbite on his foot and I had to bring medical medical out. And I mean, now he's actually in a hospital. They had to take off part of his foot and it got into his bone. Had it been very much longer, he would have died from it. And if we wouldn't have had mobile medical to come out and help us with that, he never would have went to the hospital. How, do you, how, how have you noticed that the mobile medical intervention team treats people? 
they're super nice they, they everybody loves it when they come out because they're so nice and they're so helpful and they always uh like sometimes even in the places where they can't go they'll park near there and we can bring people right to them which is really good um we're probably going to be going to an old shutdown motel here in a minute uh, there's a guy there who has a finger that he looks like he almost cut off you know it's it's cut pretty badly I'm going to have them look at that uh, as soon as I leave here because I'm a little worried about it. I, it didn't look infected to me, but I'm not really a doctor. It looks like a really bad cut that maybe he needs some antibiotics for because, uh, like I said, it's like a difference between a cut being just a cut and killing you right. uh, is letting mobile medical at least take a look at it because he's not going to go to the hospital. He's not going to, you know, right on call an ambulance. He'll just run off. But he trusts me. He knows that if I'm bringing someone in there, that's not going to be some shady uh, thing that's going to get him in trouble. And that's what his, you know, what a lot of his concern is, is just that they'll keep them or that they're, you know, or that they'll be uh, charged a lot of money for something that, ah, oh, it ain't that bad. When, you know, like the guy with his foot, you know, he's like, ah, oh, it ain't that bad. His foot was black, you know, yeah. it was dead and, and uh, he was going to die from it. So it makes a difference when I can bring them out and they'll go in places where a paramedic wouldn't go. Yeah. And also it didn't have the flashing lights and all the scary stuff that they, um, somebody who's trying to be incognito gets drawn into, okay. get all that attention drawn to where they're camping yeah. and then they're not going to work with us anymore right. because now we just caused a big hoopla and, and where their camp is where they're trying to hide people will know where their stuff is at they'll know where they're at and it just causes them more problems so usually they just avoid it but they have this this van that's real incognito they can just kind of pull up and we can get it looked at by a medical professional without all the lights and all the other stuff that goes along with it pretty awesome isn't it? yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Wow, that was great. I'm so glad Scott was there to give that commentary and insight into what people experiencing homelessness who need medical care, what their mindset is and how differently they view the healthcare system than your average ordinary citizen. So Whitney, before we get to the next audio segment, uh, Whitney, can you give us a little bit of overview on Jim? So, um, while we were addressing Ryan's needs, Scott actually told us about an individual that he had known for several years that was in an encampment by himself, mostly pretty isolated, but he had noticed that he had a wound on his finger that um, maybe needed to be addressed. So he asked us if we would drive over there and see this individual. And of course, that's our job. So that's um, what we did. And when we got there, we addressed his healthcare needs, which weren't as severe as having to go to the emergency room, but definitely needed to be addressed by a medical professional. So um, we got that part taken care of, but his obvious bigger need is a need for housing. And hopefully Scott, through his years of interactions with him, can get him into housing and get him to a warm, safe place. Yeah. Can you describe the uh, the cut that, that Jim had on his... Was it his index finger? Yeah, it was his, his index finger. It was a small wound. Um, it was really not infected. It really just needed to be dressed. Um, and just it, the 
the location that it was in and with the weather, it was kind of dry. And, um, when he moves his finger, it cracks. And so it was difficult to heal because it continues to kind of crack open. How big was that cut? You think? Uh, it was probably only an inch, inch and a half long. Yeah. yeah. But it was, as it was healing, it looked black, right? Like in the crack, like the, well, it looked, yeah. it, I mean, it looked, it probably looked a lot worse than, uh, than it actually was. Right. So it's difficult with wounds um, when we're dealing with our individuals experiencing homelessness because it's difficult for them to keep their hygiene needs met. And so he had a lot of dirt built up in there, which fortunately it still wasn't infected, but very well could be infected um, pretty easily without that frequent hand washing that you or I might do on a daily basis. And then um, really, you know, that's not his biggest concern. His biggest concern is his food, where he's sleeping. And so he's not he's not super worried about getting that wound addressed. So as as we'll hear, you actually... And I think you mentioned this to me that usually you you meet people and you're meeting them where they are, whether it's under a bridge or mm-hmm. wherever. But in the circumstance of Jim, you probably wouldn't have gone back to where his encampment was had you not been with Scott, who led us back there. Mm-hmm. And we made, we got out an okay from Jim to go back there. We did not want to, you know, make him feel exploited or anything. Like he he was very kind and welcoming and just kind of wanted to show us what he was, you know, his, his circumstances in life. Right. Um, so kind of set the scene of walking back into his encampment, what, mm-hmm. you know, kind of help the audience see it in their minds. Yeah. So it was further back in the woods than even I expected, which is smart um, because you don't want to be exposed to the road where anyone can see you. It feels a little safer, more secluded back there. Um, basically, it was a really large tarp um, with kind of a living area in the front. I believe there was a grocery cart over a fire so he could um, cook his food. And Scott had mentioned to us where he was getting his food from, I can't recall what he said, um, potentially through dumpsters. He, he was, yeah, like uh, butchers, like he would go into their trash cans and get scraps of meat. Right. Yeah. So this location was, his encampment was near a an abandoned and boarded up mm-hmm. old motel. And Jim had actually broken into it. You know, there was nobody there or anything worth anything in there. But he had, you know, gotten in into one of these rooms, which, well, I'll let you explain, um, you know, kind of help set the scene of what that area looked like. So um, it was a, a small group of motel rooms, and it looked like at one point it was probably really nice, but it seems like it's been abandoned for several years. It's boarded up. And when we were sitting there with him, he said, you know, I tried to stay in there to get warm and it worked for a little while, but they came and they found me and they kicked me out. So, um, he respected that he abided by that rule moving forward, but he just moved his encampment over into the wooded area next to that motel. You know, in your interactions with Jim, like kind of explain his, uh, what your impressions of, of Jim were. Yeah, he was great. He was yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, answered all of our questions, very respectful. But at the same time, I feel like he seems kind of 
hopeless, if that makes sense. He, you know, he was appreciative of the help. Um, and we talked to him about like future planning and, you know, he, he said some standard canned answers. Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd, I'd love that. But he almost seems like, you know, I'm not going to get the help I need. And I hate that because there is help out there. And he's so young to be hopeless. So I'm hoping that Scott can continue to reach out with him and kind of give him some faith in the system that he can get back on his feet. Yeah. Okay. So this next clip is actually of Scott Blackburn, John Clanton, and I standing in Jim's encampment. And it's it was just heartbreaking. Um, you know, Whitney, you, you described a little bit of how he was living, you know, eating scraps of meat. And, and there was just just a tarp covering over where he slept. It was just, it was just so sad. And so earlier in the ride along, I'd actually asked John about some of his other experiences in encampments. And he described some pretty dire situations. And so we were just starting to walk back towards where the mobile medical intervention team were helping Jim and just unprompted. Well, you'll hear what John says. Matt, I take it back. This is the worst I've seen somebody live. Yeah. Why? But you know, looking at this, what? What? Why is this the worst? I mean, he's cooking meat on an old, overturned shopping cart. Yeah. It, it doesn't even have an organized tent. It's not even a tent. It's just blankets and tarps tied to trees yeah. and then that room back there was a essentially a dumpster I mean it's yeah. not much better than that yeah. it's horrible yeah. so just a quick transition to me standing with Jim as the mobile medical intervention team is saying their goodbyes and he's waving goodbye um, I'm the last one to get back in the van and I'm standing there with Jim and here's just our very, very short conversation because Jim is a man of few words, but he's got a good heart. Thanks for letting us treat you today. Yeah, it's starting to get worse. You. Starts to feel bad. Just tell him. He'll get a hold of us like that, okay? Yeah. Um, so what does it mean to you to have the mobile medical intervention team come and help you today? I appreciate it. Yeah. So what's your plan? How are you going to get off the streets, man? Got me. Yeah. I don't know yet, honestly. Yeah. But you want to get off the streets and into housing, right? You don't want to live like this, no. right? Yeah. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. it. You have a blessed day. To close things out, we piled back into your minivan that is um, full of medical items, and we all sort of, you know, for the first time in about those four hours, we, we were able to just kind of relax and sort of take in, you know, <laughs> take a moment to, you know, talk about what we had seen and experienced. And, and John Clinton really cared about the people that you were serving and he understood and he had compassion. And we'll hear from John. He actually closes out the podcast with kind of his final remarks. But, um, you know, what did you want in those four hours? What do you hope John's takeaways were from his ride along with mobile medical intervention team? Well, 
one, I want people to know who we are, to know that there are individuals that are trying to help those experiencing homelessness and address a lot of their needs that otherwise aren't being met. So it's always great when we get some exposure because it could potentially inspire others to do similar work. Um, and it's much needed. You know, Jackie, myself and Stephanie, we're a great team, but we're small. There's only three of us and the need is far greater than just the three of us. So that exposure is wonderful. And just to really humanize um, the individuals that are experiencing homelessness, I think it's easy to be in our cars and look at them on the outside and, you know, mention, yeah, that's sad glad it's not me, um, and then kind of move about our day. So um, to humanize these individuals and know that they're suffering too, and to let others know that they're suffering, um, I think is going to be really impactful for them. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to go into the minivan and hear kind of the, the last uh, sort of impressions from John Clanton, and then he actually closes his out with our battle cry of go do good things. So um, Whitney, thank you so much for being with us here on the Mental Health Download. Thank you so much for everything you do for our community. You know, you guys are really changing and saving lives. So thank you so much. Great. Thanks for having me, Matt. Okay. So Johnny Clanton, take it away. To my point earlier, um, think outside of your bubble a little bit, worry about people, even though it doesn't affect you and go do good things. Can I get that applause for <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> All right. Good job, John. Thank you. 